0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up for Friday, October 20th, it's already October 20th, man time flies, 2023, Danny Fleck is alongside, hello Danny,
1: how's it going
0: man? I am well, um, alright, it's a big weekend on uh, multiple fronts and multiple sports, um, When and we will start here, um, you have... Ohio State, you have Penn State, you have the real, and, and, and we talked about this last week, that the Big Ten in college it would kind of work itself out and kind of, you know, it, it, its uh, standings would would, would uh, see themselves through eventually. And here we go, the first big matchup in that conference.
1: Yeah, this is round one. Um, you know, there's going to be three games that are going to be really important in determining I think who comes out of uh, the Big Ten, and we have, you know, round one here with Ohio State versus Penn State. On 11 11, we'll get Michigan versus Penn State, and then at the end of the month on November, we'll get yeah, Michigan Ohio State. Now, assuming that neither team trips up, you know, between then and, you know, when they play each other, those games will essentially be, you know, elimination games in my mind. So, you know, this can be complete chaos at the end of the day, depending on what happens. Like say Penn State loses today. Um, and I mean, I'm on, the, on, on Saturday, then they beat Michigan and then Michigan beats Ohio State. You know, that's absolute chaos that could possibly, you know, occur in, in the Big Ten. Um, and that's a very high likelihood to be honest with you. You know, I do think that we potentially could see. This scenario pop up where maybe each team is eleven and one uh, heading into the you know end of the regular season, and then you get all those tiebreakers that come in there. And I think you know while that likelihood is slim, uh, I think that's how even Ohio State and Penn State are, and Michigan is above them. Um, and it's going to take a spectac- uh, spectacular performance when we you know when. Ohio State and Penn State do play Michigan, but I do think that Penn State and, and Ohio State are more evenly matched than uh, they have been in years past.
0: Um, so now, getting into this game, what do you think plays out tomorrow? Because if if Michigan's that's, that's that uh, uh, step above, this is obviously a huge game, but you, I, I, would, I would think, have to be a super crisp team to A, beat whoever you're beating, uh, tomorrow and then be beating Michigan down the line.
1: Yeah, th- this game tomorrow to me comes down to both for both teams the lines. Uh, Ohio State's offensive line has not been that great this year. They have not been able to establish the run. Penn State has a phenomenal front seven, uh, good edge rushers. You know, I think they're going to be able to do a lot defensively that we saw Notre Dame do against Ohio State when they played. Uh, they may be a little bit better on the corners, um, and, you know, Ohio State could be out a wide receiver, so I do think that the game plan might be shifting a little bit from that perspective, but I do think that Penn State can attack Ohio State's offensive line, put McCord in situations where he's not comfortable, and, you know, maybe make Ohio State one-dimensional and the same thing goes on the other side of the ball. You know, Penn State's offensive line was supposed to be a strength this year. They have one of the top prospects in the country on their offensive line. Uh, but they've been pretty conservative and pretty vanilla on offense, you know, with a first-time quarterback and Drew Allard back there. You know, will they be able to establish the run, take some shot plays, you know, keep Ohio State on their heels? You know, this game to me looks – to. Looks like it's going to be potentially very similar to what we saw in South Bend about a month ago. Uh, I think the defenses are going to play really, really well. Uh, I think both offenses are going to struggle. Um, obviously with Ohio State, they always have the potential for that big shot play, but I don't think Penn State will give it to them because their run game is, is non-existent right now and they can, they have a good enough defensive front to not have to blitz. And, you know, with that, you know, it, it, the spread indicates right now that they're favoring Ohio State by five and a half points, four and a half points, depending on where you're seeing it. I don't see it that way. I think this is a, 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 a coin flip. I, I think on a neutral field we could see this spread around two, maybe one. Um, mm-hmm. I like Penn State just because I think their defense has some individual playmakers that maybe Ohio State does not have. I, I think Penn State plays Ohio State tough every time. Uh, you know, under James Franklin. Those are not games that are ever put away or in, uh, you know, automatic victories for either side. I like Penn State in this one. I think this is the year that Penn State sort of leapfrogged Ohio State for that position to potentially win the Big Ten East. So my money's on Penn State. I took them in the points. I'm hoping they can go into Columbus and pull off the upset here, but I just am going to lean towards I think what right now is the more complete team in Penn State.
0: Right, so that leads us now to this, which is that tomorrow night, Michigan, Michigan State, you can see that game on NBC, however the big news today is that a Michigan football, analyst named name Connor Stallions has been suspended, as the NCAA continues their investigation into a sign stealing fiasco with Michigan. A, you look. I, I, I know, flight football is not, you know, D one FBS college football. But A, how serious is this? And B, when you think about it and read about it, is this actually something that could play out in real life and and actually be effective?
1: I mean, to me, it's a non story. I think it's really pathetic by the NCAA to be going into this type of detective work that they like to do, you know, they don't really explain what the sign stealing is, you know, at the end of the day, you look at these college sidelines, and you've got a thousand guys in different color polos, four other guys holding up all these cards,
0: you
1: know, hand signals galore, who knows what's even real, (laughs) when they're showing this stuff, what what information could pe- could a team possibly be getting that they couldn't see from the film? And I think at the end of the day, when you're playing any type of sport, what you're trying to do is pick up on tendencies and actionable results from those tendencies, whether that be formations, lineups, um, splits, you know, in their wide receiver sets, the way a safety is coming down, you know, press coverage in certain situations football is, is, like any other thing, it's, you know, they're creatures of habit. They're usually going to go back to, to things that make them feel comfortable that they know that they can execute on. I don't know how much a sign really affects that, if you get any sort of competitive advantage off of that. Again, like with the way these sidelines are constructed, especially in college, with the, the cards and the, the people in the different polos and hats and it looks like the, the Macarena out there sometimes when these guys are, are relaying in signals, I, I don't think there's any discernible advantage that someone gets from it. You know, again, maybe you have to, you know, look through a thousand different images and get, like, a repeatable signal that maybe reacts to a certain play, but... I don't know. I, I just think it's it's really petty. and re- I, I just don't think that they're the only ones that are potentially even doing this. I, I think that everybody has some sort of spotter on their team that looks at the way that they're signaling in place, you know, even on game days on the sideline.
0: Scouting future opponents in person. That's the allegation. And to that, I would say exactly what you just said, which is, yeah, maybe you can pick up stuff, but you've got to watch a damn lot of film to do that. Because... For every game you're running a different scheme, you're changing different things. If 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 the uh, jet sweep went left one game, it's probably going to go right the next game to try to fool them. You're changing everything. And the best teams and the best coaches are constantly changing, a.k.a. Nick Saban. So if you are doing that, and that's how you live, and that's how you work, and that's how you operate, how effective can this be, to your point? I don't know. Because you would really have to look at every single snap and every single thing if you're looking for one thing.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing like in baseball when they, they talk about like, this, the sign-stealing scandals and stuff. It's, if it's part of your game, you have to think that there are people out there trying to figure out how to decipher what it is that you're doing. If you don't want it to be part of your game, don't have it. I, I don't know if in college they have the headsets, but maybe they should, go back, they should have headsets in their helmet. Yeah. Um, like they're doing the NFL. I, I, you know, you have wristbands. You have different ways of communicating that can prevent this from happening. If you're not taking advantage of that, it is your opponent's right to try to figure out what it is that you're trying to do. It just is very, very dumb. I mean, how is it any different than when you go up to the line and you call, you know, Omaha or, or any
0: sort of, you know, LeBron audible. James. Yeah, like <laughs> that audible if you use it more
1: than once, is that, is that sign ceiling? If you're verbally saying what it is that you're doing? <laughs> yes. You know, you probably change it up at halftime to mean something else, like you mentioned. It's it just, the NCAA just tries to embroil themselves like in these controversies and in these situations that really, at the end of the day, in this sport, specifically college football, make no sense. You, you make so much money. Off this sport, you you pay these people so much money to coach this sport, and here they are trying to figure out a way to be more competitive and have an advantage. And you're going to come back and then slap their wrist? Like I, I think that the NCAA, at the end of the day, at times, you know, could be just trying to stir things up. And also, like you put on your like your little like tinfoil hat here. Why is it only Michigan? It's because your ball yeah. is being, being a pain in the butt with them with the suspension. You know, that, that kind of triggers a little bit, too. Like, why Michigan? You're, you're telling me Michigan's the only team that has a guy that goes to scout games in person. You know, next thing you're going you're to say if you're the NCAA is that you can't go and scout recruits in person either. Like, it's just really stupid.
0: Let's, let's move back to action on the field, which could look stupid or it could not look stupid, depending on how a team plays tomorrow. Duke could play a big old spoiler for Florida State. And as you look at that game in primetime tomorrow night, I think Duke football has been kind of on the ascend the last couple of years. Here they are, currently ranked uh, 16th, I believe it is. Yep, 16th in the country. Could they spoil Florida State's fate?
1: I don't think so. Um, you know, Florida State's too explosive in my mind. They're at home, night game. Duke's probably without their top quarterback, Riley Leonard, who, who really changed the outlook of their potential prospects in this game. And I think it's just a, a bad game at the wrong time for Duke, in my opinion. I think that they're going to make things frustrating for Florida State. But I think overall, they don't have enough punch on offense without Leonard there to really pose any sort of threat to Florida State. Yeah, you know, This is going to be one of those games where I think you're going to see Duke just struggle to get 17 points in a game where they need to probably score 30 to 35 to be competitive. I I just don't see that with the current quarterback situation. And even if he does play, one of his big things is that he can run. He's mobile. You know, a high ankle sprain. We all – I think the theme this year with ankles has been, oh, you know, two to three weeks they'll be getting back. That's just not – not the situation. Nope. you need at least four to five weeks minimum to be comfortable. and I just don't see Riley Leonard going out there after three was it been three weeks being anywhere near hundred percent or even threatening enough to give that Duke offense that dimension. I, I, I just think it's if this game wasn't two weeks, maybe Duke has a shot, but I just think it's at the wrong time unfortunately.
0: Danny Flecker with us here on teeing it up. Um, let's let's go backwards for a second. Washington, Oregon, the big game last week. Obviously, Washington gets that victory. They're now the number five team. What do you? What did you take away from that game? A and then B. Looking forward, is this just you know setting up for them to, to uh, meet up again in the Pac-12 championship game, where where that might matter more than that game at at, at home in Seattle last week for uh, for uh, Washington.
1: Well, I hope they meet again. I think they're the two best teams in the Pac-12. I think USC showed last week that they are just not at that level as a team. You know, they may have some individual players that are, but as a team, they're not. Um, Oregon and Washington were easily, I I thought that was a a great game from top to bottom. You know, there were some coaching decisions in that game I would not have done if I was on the sidelines, for (laughs) example, excuse me. You know, I I think we've gotten to a point in football where we take, you know, as coaches keep coaching, they take the points for granted and worry more about what the situation will be at the end of the game rather than, like, what the game is at that point in time. Hmm. So, example, end of the first half, you have a field goal there, and you go for it. Take the points. You're going into halftime. There's nothing that's going to happen after that field goal that will increase your odds of getting the ball back, especially because it's at the end of the half. Just take the points. And then there was another play um, late in, I think, early or late in the third quarter. Fourth down and short again inside the six or seven. They call this hook route to the far side of the field, and it passes incomplete. Now... Going for it there, I understand, but call a better play. You know, give yourself this opportunity. Too many times on fourth down, what I think we see with these coaches is that they call these plays that automatically eliminate half the field. Whether that's a rollout, um, hoping for some crossers on the short side to hit, you know, maybe in front of the pylon or in the back of the end zone, you make it so much easier for the defense to defend the play because you're taking away half the field, and you're also limiting your opportunity for any sort of improvisation that might come up with that play. You know, if you roll to the right and the play is going to the right, if you're scrambling, you have to scramble all the way back to the other side of the field. Um, They handcuff themselves sometimes with their play calling. So So, that's just my takeaway from watching football the last couple of years is that I don't mind being aggressive in situations when it calls for it, but sometimes we have to just understand like the points matter and going for on fourth down is a 50-50 shot. Kicking a field goal is a 50-50 shot. But if the field goal is more of a certainty, take the points. Um, and as we saw in that game, three points mattered. Yep. Um, so you have all these people saying, you know, follow the analytics, go for it, blah, 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 seven is more than three. Yeah, I know that. But sometimes you need those points. And... Not giving yourself the opportunity to get those points, put yourself in a situation where you are now chasing the game, which at times these coaches end up doing, and you just continue to kind of avalanche. And so, you know, I might be more conservative in my approach to the way I would have handled that, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just got to look back and say, you know, let's take the given and let's trust that our defense is able to do the job that we need them to do and then be aggressive after that point, right? Like, take it and each drive should be held separately rather than thinking, okay, I'm going to be aggressive here and I'm going to take this shot because I think the game's going to play out this way. Also, at least I'll give this to Dan Lanning. He was consistent, right? He was going four on fourth down in every situation. He wasn't changing his mind throughout the game either. So at least I'll give him that, right? He was on top of it from the beginning. He was going for it on fourth down. He wasn't going for it on fourth down one drive, not going for it on fourth down the other drive when it was presenting similar situations. But I think that fourth down at the end of the half is the big thing. You know, you got to take those points. you got to put yourself in a situation where you understand, like, the game in the second half will look like this. You know, they, they were chasing that game a little bit in the third quarter. They were able to get back into it. But if they had those three points, now you're looking at the end of the game. If everything else plays out the way it is, you're looking at the end of the game going for a win rather than trying to tie it up.
0: Big, big difference. I think a lot of coaches are – I was going to say course management, but that's golf. But I I think a lot of coaches are having uh, some come to – you know, there are census moments here over these last couple of weeks, because to your point, we've seen some bizarre, bizarre, I mean, even in the NFL, look at the Jets two weeks ago against Denver, look at your Giants last week against Buffalo, you know, horrible clock management slash game management at the end of the half moments. It's, it is an epidemic in both in college and in the NFL. I don't think it's limited to just one. And you, you, you put it there very, very articulately why this needs to change and needs to change now. Um, there's another there's another thing yeah, sure. this
1: coaches can do right yeah how many times how many times do we see timeouts taken because the play
0: clock is running down mm-hmm very you know, much i
1: was if I was analytical on first and first and ten if my play clock is running down, I would just take the penalty just take the penalty don't waste a timeout a timeout is more valuable at the end of a half than it is say at 15 minutes, or I mean, at the start of the second quarter. Take the five yards. First and 15 and first and 10, to me, isn't that different. You know, you still have first, second, and third down to get the first. Maybe utilize your timeouts differently, too. Take the penalty. Teach your quarterbacks, your team. Say, like, if we get in this situation, we're not going to rush the play and we're not going to call the timeout. We're going to take a penalty and reset and attack first down differently. So that's another thing these coaches maybe should be looking at is how do they utilize their time management and their play calling strategy when it comes down to it? because a lot of times I can bet that we can watch a game and you're going to be like, oh, this guy they only have one timeout going into the second quarter. How do they use those first two timeouts?
0: Probably not to take the five yard penalty on the delay of game. I'm, I'm well. I am with you one thousand percent, brother. On that, yeah, it's just like take the penalty. It's way more valuable later on. I I know what you're trying to do, but it's not worth it. Just take the penalty, relax. I think it's panic a lot of times. I think a lot of coaches panic, and and, and the quarterbacks panic.
1: Yeah, it's it's all comes down to coaching and situational, you know, management. You know, like, like I said, first and fifteen is not to me any different than first and ten. You know, third and one and third and five and third and six. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but again, it depends on where you are on the field and everything else like that. But maybe you know. We were talking about the signals earlier. Maybe you don't have, like, a whole song and dance and trying to relay in a play. Yes. Then maybe you'll have more than 10 seconds to get to the line and check and make sure that you're running the right play. Yes.
0: I forgot what team I was watching, but they came out of the huddle so late over and over again. I'm like, what are you doing? It's just, it's not... Denver. <laughs> it's just, it's like, it's like you are running yourself into the ground if you are, you know, coming out of it that late. And then you are not going to... There is no recipe for 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 succeeding if that recipe... Happens. I I, I want to make sure we give this game its due. Dolphins, Eagles, Sunday Night Football. Uh, 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 sorry, Danny Flicker with a turn, teeing it up. I just saw this team. Obviously, this team is vulnerable. Um, they are vulnerable if 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 you make Jalen Hurts uncomfortable. But I don't think some of the silly turnovers that happened last week will happen. You get a Dolphin team in prime time. They think they are something. This is a really interesting, you know, heat check type game, I think, for the Dolphins or for the Eagles, just to reassure themselves that they can get back on the winning weights except some of those injuries, including losing uh, Lane Johnson, are really big. Yeah, I mean I
1: came away from the Eagles game last week against your Jets thinking Really one main thing uh, is that Philadelphia showed to me that they are really only comfortable playing a certain way. Um, Whether they want to change that up, I think, depends on this opponent, but I think this is the week they need to do that. You're talking about a team offensively, even with Lane Johnson out, that has Devontae Smith, Dallas Carter, A.J. Brown, DeAndre Swift, Jalen Hurts, and they play at this pace that makes you fringe at times. And they're very slow, methodical, um, kind of like just playing in front of the sticks, uh, not using the explosiveness they have. And I think this week that needs to change. I don't think, given their situation on defense, they can comfortably sit back and say, we're going to own the time of possession. Because I don't think that matters this week. You have an offensive team in Miami that is fast, that is efficient, that eats up yards, that can make a drive count in less than three minutes, and you could waste ten minutes of that clock, and you're, at the end of the quarter, tied up or losing, whatever it is. I just don't think Philadelphia can play that way this week. They need to get after Miami if they want to comfortably win this game or if they even want to just be in it. Because I think that playing slow against Miami does nothing more than just give them the opportunity to scheme up what it is they're going to be doing next drive. You have to consistently get them off the field, which I don't think Philadelphia's defense can do right now. They are just battered on the back end. I also don't think they have the speed on defense to keep everything in front of them. Um, It's got to be a game where I think Philadelphia comes out saying 28 to 31 points is what's going to get us to a victory this week. We can't play in the 20s. we got to get up the upper level of our offense and really attack this Miami defense and put them in uncomfortable situations because if the game is comfortable for Miami, we're gonna see that, you know, they're gonna be able to do what they want. You know, they have to take a page out of what Buffalo did. Buffalo went after them. They attacked them, they were going deep, they were utilizing the run game, you know, when necessary. Uh Josh Allen was extending plays. I think that's the way you need to
0: attack this Miami team, especially when you have skilled
1: players to do so.
0: The other thing that, that you know, really s- stuck out to me is that it, when, if, if you had the pieces, and you can add Julio, uh, Julio Jones coming to that picture too, put a team away. And they never, they kept the Jets hanging around when the Jets really weren't doing much. They were doing some things, but they were kicking field goals, right? And they were just letting them hang around. I never saw the move. And yes, the Jets are a very, you know, really maybe... You know, top five defense in the NFL. They never took the move to get the Jets out of the game, which I, thought, which I thought was really interesting. Now, part of that was was those turnovers, but they kept the Jets hanging around and the Jets pounced.
1: I think you hit you hit the nail on the head there, and I think we saw it last night in last night's game, too. When you, when, I think teams get to a certain level um, in that game where they're like, we are doing what we want let's just take it easy for a little bit. Let's not overextend ourselves or show everything in this game if we don't absolutely have to. But what happens then is that you you stall. You lose any momentum that you have. And then your defense eventually loosens up just a bit too. Um, I'm a big believer in if you're playing one way in the first quarter, you should be playing that way in the fourth quarter. If you're running plays, if you're going after them, like – it doesn't matter if you win by 3 or 40. Win the game the way you know how to win the game. Um, and that's really it. I think with that Jets game and that Philly game, Philly became really complacent. Um, Hurts was never comfortable in the third quarter and I think a lot of that had to do with design and play scheme and you know, they maybe were running things that they weren't running earlier in the game, so your timing's off a little bit. And you saw interceptions, fumbles, whatever it was. But when they were attacking in the first half, the Jets were not able to stop them. Um, so it, it, it comes down to if your game plan is let's get after this team, don't stop after you're up by like ten or fourteen points. Keep going. Football's a weird game. Eventually water does find its level in a game. You just can't sit back there and, and think a 10-point lead is enough to get by, especially if you have a ton of game to play.
0: Well said. Well said, Dan Flicka with us here on teaming Up. I've got two minutes left. Anything else on this weekend slate for either side that you want to point out?
1: Right, it's a week's slate you know, this weekend with a lot of buys. Um you know, we saw an interesting game last night. I think the Cleveland Indie game's interesting. Buffalo New England's interesting. You know, is Buffalo going to keep doing this every single year? Um, you know, where they look really good and then they kind of slow down and pick back up again. I, I don't really think that's a good way for them. They are a team that needs to be front running and, like I mentioned, they need to attack. Um, I mean, the Giants, who knows what the hell we're going to get from them tomorrow, I mean, on Sunday. Um, they should have won that game up in Buffalo, and unfortunately, they did not. Uh, and I think the other game this week, one of the really interesting games, is the Chargers versus Kansas City. Those games are usually tight, I mean, usually with Kansas City winning those games, but you know, do the Chargers have anything in them to potentially give Kansas City a run for their money in that game? I think they do, but again, with Staley as their coach, there's just a limitation, I think, with that team. So we'll see. I think there's a lot of things this week we're going to find out. You know, is Chicago going to be sellers if they lose this game? Are the Giants going to be sellers if they lose in Washington? Um, You know, is Detroit really for real? Can they go into Baltimore and, and take a game there and really put a stranglehold on the NFC North? And then, you know, Miami, Philadelphia, it's like, you know, is this a potential Super Bowl preview, or is it just that Miami's offense is just going to be way too good, and eventually they get home field advantage, you know, in the AFC? So a lot of storylines here that I think can shape the rest of the, the year, but we'll have to play it out on Sunday to see what happens.
0: Halloween is the NFL trade deadline this uh, weekend. Could prove if it's spooky or sweet for somebody, depending on how things work out. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. No
1: problem, man. Have a good weekend.
0: You got it. i right uh, hop back. Same to you. And thank you all for joining us on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.